So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. Hope you're uh, finding your way there. I'll give you a moment. Hope you've all had an awesome day and a good uh, week so far. A reminder, this coming Friday and Saturday, we've got a special event going on. Um, it's 9-11 conference, which is based on Romans 9-11, Friends of Israel. Uh, we're having a special conference here starting Friday afternoon and then um, through the day on Saturday. And so hope you can join us or watch online. We'll have them live streamed. And we've got a few different speakers that are going to be sharing and just uh, looking at what God's word has to say about Israel. So going to be good. Well, tonight, Joshua chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at lessons learned at AI. AI, not artificial intelligence. No. <laughs> Those are lessons to be learned too from AI, but A, I, I didn't want to say A because that's kind of how you would say it, A or I, but AI, I am always used to saying it that way, so take your pick, but you know what I'm saying. It's a city that we're going to be looking at here, a town, and so Remember the scene now because Israel has just come off of a great victory in Jericho, Joshua chapter six. We looked at that last time we were together here on Wednesday night. It was a miraculous work that God did on behalf of the Israelites. Very clear that this was not a victory attained by Israel's skill or their you know, military prowess. This was a victory that was given to them by the Lord as they walked around Jericho once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they walked around the city seven times. They blew the trumpet and the walls came down. That's pretty amazing. Now, I think about this great victory that God gave. And I also think about the the situation with Rahab, because remember, as the spies went in to the land to spy out the land of Jericho, remember Rahab brought them into her house and kept these spies safe and protected them. And she said, just remember us because we know the God that you serve and he is the true God. Just remember me. And so they said, as long as you put the scarlet, uh, scarlet uh, cord outside your window and you and your family are in the house, you will be safe and we'll come to you. But what's amazing, what I think about is as those walls of Jericho were crumbling down, think about the faith that Rahab had to have now because that wall is coming down and it says that her house was on the wall like basically in the wall and the walls are crumbling down and they've got to remain in the house to be saved. And so they've got to have a huge element of faith, trusting the Lord for his protection and preservation. Listen, it's the same for us, how we need to remain in Jesus for safety, protection, and for salvation ultimately. We may see things unraveling and crashing down around us, and our temptation may be to take action for self-preservation, that we've got to do something. We've got to take action just to cause our lives to be spared when things are crumbling down around us. And yet the Lord says, remain in me, because it's there that you will find safety, protection, and salvation. We remain steadfast in him, because our only hope comes through staying in Christ. Hebrews 3, 6 says, but Christ is the son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the, the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. You remain in Christ firm to the end. Well, as we 
Pick it up in Joshua 7. We're going to see one that was not remaining steadfast in Christ. And as Israel receives this great victory, this can be oftentimes the most dangerous place to be. What? Don't, you might be thinking, don't we want victory? Yeah, we want victory. And we have that victory in Christ. But it's when things are going well that we can begin to get a little self-reliant now. We can find ourselves moving away from God or outside of what God has for us and no longer finding ourselves now locked into that safety and blessing of abiding in Christ. And when that happens, guess what? Trouble comes. And we're gonna be introduced to a man here named Achan. He's not gonna be around long, but he's gonna leave his mark and, and a warning for us all. You see, Achan's name means trouble or vexation. And Israel is going to find themselves in a whole lot of trouble due to some actions that were taken outside of God's commands when somebody removed themselves from the protection that God has and the will of God to go their own way. Now, remember this whole journey of entering in the promised land is a is a great picture of the spirit-filled life, a life that is walking in the abundance and the fullness of life that we have as a result of a surrendered life to Christ. A life that's laid down, walking in submission, but now because we're walking in submission to the Lord, we're enjoying the blessing of that victory that he has for us. And this chapter illustrates for us a couple of things that will quickly begin to hinder us from walking that fullness of life or walking in the victory that God has for us. First of all, it's a dependence on self. And secondly, it's a desire for self. A couple of things that this chapter points out that will quickly derail us from walking in the fullness of life that God has for us, a dependence on self and a desire for self. Look at verse one with me at chapter seven. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. So this verse right here sets the stage for us. Achan, the, the troubler, as his name means, is going to bring some aching to the camp of Israel because of his disobedience. He committed a trespass. Now, the Bible uses a couple of different words that we see kind of for this idea of sin and, and disobedience. Of course, we have the word sin, which gets its, its meaning or, or word from the idea of missing the mark. It's like if you were, you know, shooting an arrow at a target, you're looking at the bullseye and you're trying to hit that target. And if you don't yet, you miss the mark. All right. And so sometimes we can sin and we can do so almost accidentally in the sense that we are, are pursuing the target. We're, we're trying to hit the target, but yet we fall short in our own humanity, in our own frail uh, weakness and shortcomings. We oftentimes miss the mark. We sin not so much out of a desire to sin or a, you know, a deliberate sin, but sometimes just a sin of just falling short, not, not lining up to what Christ would be or what he would do in that situation. And so you have that idea of sin, but then we also have, as what's pointed out for us here, a trespass. 
because the children of Israel, it says in verse one, committed a trespass. And that idea, of course, we get that idea very well because it's like having a, a sign that says, do not trespass. And we see something that we go, well, I really wanna go that way. That's a bit of a shortcut. And I know it says don't trespass, but I'm just gonna ignore that sign and do it anyways. And that becomes now a deliberate action of sin. And so this is what's happening here. This is not Achan that's falling in a sin, kind of accidentally doing something that he just didn't, you know, really think it through properly. This is him choosing and deliberately going against the commands of the Lord. That's what is said about Achan. He committed a trespass. Now, what really hurts is that Achan's the one that did it, yet it says that the children of Israel committed a trespass. See, this one, this was one man's act, but yet it affected the whole nation. How so? Well, let's read on and see. Verse two. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth Avon on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And, they, and the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Now, what's interesting here is that we do not see the Lord being mentioned at all. We don't see the name of the Lord mentioned in these verses that we've just read so far. Now, that's not an uncommon thing for just a, a few verses like this. But since this is covering such an important campaign and endeavor, you'd hope to see the Lord brought into this. But that's not the case here with Israel. Every step of the way so far, Joshua has received counsel from the Lord. Here's what you're to do. But now fresh off of victory and feeling good about themselves, they think they can just handle it all on their own now. They've just come out of the most difficult city, Jericho, with an easy defeat. They've taken down money. Jericho, A, now seems like it would just be a cinch. Oh, we can do this with our, our hands tied. We, we don't need our whole army. We can just take a few. But again, who took down Jericho? God did. And though Ai may not have been as formidable as Jericho, they still needed God to work on their behalf to secure the victory. We always need the Lord to work on our behalf. And you see, this is the danger we can all face in life. As we go along, we can get more and more comfortable and begin to think that we can just handle what's before us on our own. Oh, this is no problem for me. This is not a big deal. I've been here, done that. I know what to do. And we can just go about our business without bringing the Lord into it, consulting the Lord, praying about those things. And you see, the great sin of Self-reliance is that self-reliance leads to prayerlessness. And this is a people now that aren't seeking the Lord and praying about what to do and how to do that. Instead of living daily with a dependence on the Lord, we can all be those that begin to get a little bit self-reliant or confident, confident in self. And Paul had to warn the church at Galatia 
In Galatians 3.3, when he says, are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? They started out on the right track, but then they began to fall back upon their own works and their own effort. We're not gonna get any better or stronger by moving away from the Lord, that's for sure. And yet how prone we are to do that and to get comfortable, to get a little bit confident in self, thinking we're okay, we've, we've done this before. Just because things have been going well does not mean you can relax and let up in your dependence on the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says it very well. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. See, it's oftentimes in those places of victory or those moments of, of you know, great blessing that we tend to think, ah, I've kind of arrived. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good now. I, I, I can just kind of coast along, thinking that everything's going right for a change, but it's in those times that we have to be careful because it's in those times that the enemy will come in when we think we're doing okay and will come in and try to tear us down. And it's in those times that we are oftentimes less engaged in the things of the spirit because we feel like everything's just right on track. And it's every day we need to be saying, Lord, I need you. Oh, I might have had a great day yesterday. I might have had seen great victories, but Lord, today, I need you every bit as I did yesterday. And tomorrow, I'm gonna need you every bit as much as I do today. Every day when you say, Lord, go with me, go before me, lead me in what you have for me here today. Let me not remove myself from you and think I can do it on my own. And that was the problem here with Israel. Well, verse six, Reading along, it says this. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, alas, Lord, God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Joshua quickly became humbled as to what happened. It's sad, isn't it? Because we read earlier there at the end of verse five that the people's hearts melted became like water. That was the condition of all the people in Canaan at the thought of Israel coming in because of the God that was going before them. Rahab said, our, our, you know, our hearts have melted. They knew the greatness of God. And yet now, as Israel has kind of put God to the side, it's their hearts that are now melting, sadly. And so Joshua comes and he humbles himself. See, and he goes to the Lord with great Grief and concern here now in verse six to nine. Now, if that had been his posture before they went to A, this wouldn't have to be this action taken now in this way. See, the idea of tearing their clothes, that was a sign of a, a torn heart, a heart that was grieved. Dust on their heads was a sign of mourning. And Joshua is exemplifying here now a heart of repentance and mourning over this sin. However, Joshua's not exactly sure as to what the real issue is. Why have they had this defeat at 
A, where they thought they would just steamroll over them. Joshua's not really sure what's going on. And what he's doing is he's kind of complaining to the Lord, God, what have you, what have you done? Why have you led us here only to suffer this defeat? We would have been much better if we'd have stayed on the other side of the Jordan if this was the case. Joshua's not sure what's going on, but we see Joshua's heart here. He may not know exactly what's going on, but he sees that the name of the Lord is potentially being defamed. He doesn't want to give any occasion for the name and the character of God to be slandered. And we need to see this as a great concern in our lives. We're to live in a manner where we bring glory to God. In other words, everything we do should be contributing to making the Lord's name great. Everything we do, everything we say, the way that we live and conduct ourselves should be bringing honor to the Lord and making his name great. But when we entertain sin, our concern should be that we're gonna bring slander to the great name of God. How could I, a person that calls myself a follower of Christ, do something so unchristlike that would now cause people to question who Jesus really is? Joseph said in Genesis 39, verse nine, when he's tempted by Potiphar's wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? See, Joseph didn't just see this as an issue between him and Potiphar's wife or him and Potiphar, his, his master. This was just an issue there. He's like going, how can I do this against God? And bring this slander to the name of the Lord. We're gonna see in this chapter that sin has consequences and it can't be hidden. And our biggest con concern should be the, the defamation of our sweet savior. So Joshua, he takes his posture prayer here, which again, he should have done earlier. And the whole nation of Israel should have done this earlier as they move on from Jericho and see what's up next. Hey, let's pause. Let's turn to the Lord. Let's give this to the Lord. But now, what do we see God saying to him there? God just simply says, hey, Joshua, get up. Why? Because it's not time for prayer. It's time for action. It's time to deal with the very things that have impeded your progress and brought about this great defeat. It's time to take action and see what's really going on. So verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived and they've also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies because they've become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed things from among you, the accursed from among you. Verse 13, get up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow because this, thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Verse 14, in the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families and the family which the Lord takes shall come by households and the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he's done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So God clarifies now 
what has led to this surprising defeat for Israel. Israel has sinned. Again, it was one man, but it affected everybody. That's why Paul would say when dealing with a, a sinning brother in the church at Corinth that he needs to be removed. Why? Because he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. See, permitted sin in the body of Christ will affect the whole body, even if it's one guilty individual. 1 Corinthians 12, 20 says, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. Though we are individual, we come together, we make up one body, in which case then when one member is hurting or one member is going astray, it's going to affect the whole body because we are members one to another comprising the body of Christ. See, don't think that your sin can remain hidden or that your sin is only going to affect yourself because sin has a, a collateral effect. Others are hurt or offended or they're led astray by your actions of sin thinking that, well, that's what a Christian is and I don't want anything to do with Christ. We need to be aware that sin never pays out what Satan says it will. We might be enticed. We might think, oh man, this is the answer that I'm looking for. This is something that's really gonna help me. And Satan will bring every kind of promise to you that this sin is gonna satisfy, this sin is going to be helpful in your life. And yet, he's the father of lies. He has no intention on fulfilling those promises he makes. He's a deceiver. And he'll paint it in such a way that entices you and draws you in. But it leads you to your ruin and sadly, oftentimes to the ruin of others as well. Again, notice the use of the word transgressed here, verse 10 and verse 15. Achan knew what he was doing was wrong. This was not an accidental sin. This is not something that Achan just thought, oh, is this something that we're able to take? I'm just gonna take some of that myself. I think that's great. I mean, who? why would we let this just go to waste? Let me take some of it home. Maybe I'll give it to the poor. Maybe I'll do something with it. I mean, Achan's not doing this thinking that it's okay. He's trespassing. He knows exactly what he's doing and that this is wrong. He knew what God said. And he chose to go against it because God said in Joshua 6, verse 18 and 19, and you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron, they're consecrated to the Lord. They shall come in the treasury of the Lord. So the spoils of war were not to be taken. That says they're, they're the accursed things. Let them be. And whoever takes it will be accursed. See, it's bad enough that Achan decided to go against the word of the Lord, but he's now challenging the word of the Lord. God made it very clear. You're going to be accursed. If Achan really believed that, he would not have touched it. Do we really believe what God says in his word? Do we believe it so much that we're saying, I don't want to go against it. I want to follow this to a T. Now, what's interesting is that God says to Joshua, these are the things that you shall do in the morning. I wonder if Achan kind of got wind of this a little bit and he had just a night like tossing, turning, sweating it out going, oh my goodness, what's gonna happen tomorrow? It's been said, a clear conscience makes a soft pillow. 
And isn't it wonderful when we can just walk in obedience to the Lord and just upholding his word to where we go, man, I am good with the Lord. Oh, I may not be perfect. Oh, I know there's still areas that are being refined in my life, but as it stands in my devotion to the Lord, my love for the Lord, I'm good. And it just allows us to be at peace with the Lord. That's what he wants for us, isn't it? For us to be at peace with him. But Achan, I'm sure, is not experiencing a lot of peace in this night. So we read in verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah and he took the family of the Zarhites and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you've done. Do not hide it from me. See, here we see the weeding out process now. Just as God instructed Joshua, he's fulfilling here the next day and God knew exactly who did this. God's not trying to, God knows exactly who did this, but I wonder if he's just giving Achan a bit of time to step up and step out in confession and repentance before he's forced to do it. I mean, this is something that I'm sure Achan is just standing there sweating this out. He's got sweat dripping from his forehead. Legs are probably shaking. He's nervous as can be. I'm sure he's whispering on his breath. Please, please, please don't call Judah. Please don't call Judah. Oh, oh, oh no, they called Judah. Don't let it be the Zarhites. Oh boy, they called the Zarhites. Oh no, no, no. Please just don't call Zabdi. Oh man, Zabdi's gone. He's like looking around, where can I hide? He's like just sweating this out. But I'm sure every step along the way, God's giving Achan an opportunity to say, stop, Joshua, it was me. I'm the blame here. I'm the one that's caused this great tragedy and travesty here in Israel. So I believe the Lord wants us all to come to him, repentance, and yet we know it's the Lord's will for every knee to bow before him in submission and praise. And yet some want to hold out and live life on their terms. But we see that one day, every knee is gonna bow. You can do so now in gratitude of the one who has saved you, or you will do it in a future time when it's too late to be reconciled to him. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But do it when the Lord is calling you to place a reconciliation, not a place of judgment. And sadly, Achan is gonna miss out on that because he's gonna wait to the point where the Lord draws him out. And now his confession becomes his verdict of judgment. Look at verse 20 with me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I've done. So he should have done this long ago. But now he does it to his judgment. Verse 21, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them and there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Now, Look at the 
progression that we see in these verses, verse 20 and 23, of Achan's uh, temptation and sin. Because Achan's first mistake was to view these items as spoils, all right? They're not spoils of war for his taking. They were the Lord's. They, they were the, the cursed things, the things that are to be left or, or, or given over to the Lord, and yet Achan took them for himself. Secondly, Achan coveted these things. He didn't just see them, which we oftentimes can't help that first look, right? The problem was he desired them. He desired them. He coveted them. And we need to be so careful that we don't entertain sin because, again, that first look of something is a pass. It's like, oh, okay, now, oh but then we got to take care of that cow. We got to look away. There's something that's captivating us that's not of the Lord. The first look is a pass, but the second and third look, the gaze of desire, that's on us. And that's what gets us into trouble and leads us to sin. That's when you're going to start to be Achan like Achan is at this time. Thirdly, thirdly, Achan didn't just see and covet. Now he takes. His desire turned to action. That was the trespass. He saw, he coveted, and he took. That's the progression we see here with Achan. And it's very reminiscent of Eve's fall to temptation in the Garden of Eden, isn't it? it certainly follows the, that general pattern of temptation. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. We understand that in the same way, David was tempted when he saw Bathsheba and desired her. And, he, and it says there in, in 2 Samuel 11 that he took her for himself. It's the same temptation that Jesus was hit with. This is the way that the enemy loves to come against us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. James 1, 14 to 15 says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Again, temptation is not sin, but what we do with that temptation, that's what leads into sin. And we're drawn into sin by our own desires that need to be weeded out, cut off, make no provision for the flesh, the Bible says. Now, one thing to note that we see here in our, in our text. What did Achan do with all the goods that he got from Jericho? He what? He hid them. He buried them. Buried them under his tent. Listen, what good is something that you just have to end up burying? And it's a solemn reminder for us that sin may be pleasurable for a season, but it ultimately robs you of blessing and joy. It becomes that which brings shame and displeasure, and we just simply end up trying to hide it. The enemy, like I said, presents it as something that's going to be enjoyable and fulfilling. But yet, the end result of sin is that we just end up hiding. It becomes nothing that we rejoice in. 
Achan buried it because he tried to hide it from others and most likely hide it from God. But here's the problem. We serve an all-knowing and all-seeing God. Nothing is hidden before him. It says in Psalm 69, verse 5, Oh God, you know my foolishness and my sins are not hidden from you. If that wasn't from Psalm, I would say that's something I would have written right there. Very true of myself. Very true of many of us. Numbers 32, 23. But if you do not uh, do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. That's a sad outcome here for Achan. His sin is indeed finding him out. It says in verse 24, then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons and his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tents and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones and they burned them with fire after they'd stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Again, one man's action and sin brought tragedy to many. And here now we see his family suffered along with him. Rahab's faith spared her family, whereas Achan's sin condemned his family. It's very likely that they were in on this. They were aware that he buried this, these goods right under his tent. They were most likely, and this is just conjecture, most likely aware of what's going on and were hiding in along with Achan. Either way, they suffered the consequences of this sin. And you might think these are heavy consequences. Oh, why, why, why not maybe a warning? Why not maybe a, you know, time out outside the camp or something? Like, this seems so heavy. It doesn't seem like a gracious or forgiving God, you might think. Now, we know he is, but we also know that sin must be dealt with. And God often gave some serious warnings to the seriousness of sin at new junctures in Israel's history. You know, we have street signs that kind of keep us alerted to potential danger of what to avoid. But if we ignore those signs, well, we're gonna run head on into that danger. And he warns us because he loves us. We've seen examples previously and, and throughout scripture of these new junctures in Israel's history where Seriousness had to be taken over sin, Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, who were killed for not coming into the holy tabernacle on God's terms. This was at the juncture of God establishing the tabernacle and the means of proper worship before him. So God gave a serious warning and consequence. We saw it with Uzzah when he was killed for touching the ark and not treating the sacred things as he should in 2 Samuel chapter six. You go, he was just trying to stay it was so harsh and yet God was revealing that nothing should be touching the, the holy things of the Lord. Ananias and Sapphira were killed for lying against the Holy Spirit in Acts five. 
again, a special junction time as the church age was beginning to where God was desiring those that were following Christ to say, I want you to be people of truth and not deception. That's the mark of the enemy. There's no room for lying. And God made a serious warning for all people in that time. Say, we need to be people of truth. These are reminders for us of the seriousness of sin and how we are to live before a holy, almighty, and all-knowing God. You see, Israel had to be conquered by God before they could go and conquer the enemy. God's conquering comes by our dying to the flesh. See, when we die to the flesh and live in the spirit, well, that's when we begin to walk in victory that he has for us. That's the book of Joshua for us. Now, we see that the death of Achan and his family took place in the Valley of Achor. The name Achor is linked to Achan. It means trouble. This is the Valley of Trouble here. It's a place of a great warning again given to all of Israel how they are to follow God's commands. And they're to seek the Lord and depend on the Lord. And yet here in this great place of tragedy now of, of Achan and his family being stoned and burned, we see this valley of Achor come up again in scripture in Hosea 2, 14 and 15, saying, therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her her own vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. I love that. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. See, this place of judgment is gonna become a, a place of hope, a door of hope for Israel. As, is, as God draws Israel back to a place of, of repentance and future restoration in him. I'm so thankful that today we have a door of hope. We have Jesus who calls himself the, the door the way in. We have a savior who has come and he's taken the fire that Achan received. He took the fire of God's judgment upon himself in our place. He died for us so that as we read there in, in verse um, 26, the fierceness of God's anger could be turned away from us. Jesus came and he took our place there on the cross. He died and yet rose again, that we could have hope today, that we can be those that aren't marked by our sin or judged by our sin, but are forgiven through the work of Jesus Christ, to where we can have life and hope now in him. Praise the Lord for that. I'm so thankful for what he has done for us. But what do we need to do to receive that? Like Achan should have done? Confess, repent, and be those that come clean with who we are and our need for Jesus. I love what Spurgeon said. He said, I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. I must be holy for his sake. How can I live in sin when he has died to save me from it? So may we take that to heart. Listen, how's everybody doing? Okay, chapter eight might look pretty uh, daunting, but we're gonna run through this, all right? 
And we're gonna finish chapter eight here tonight and it won't take us long. Verse one. Verse one says, now the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise, go up to A. See, I've given in your hand the king of A, his people, his city and his land. And you shall do to A and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. It was Henry Ford who defined a mistake as this, an opportunity to begin again more intelligently. (laughs) That's pretty accurate. At least it, it certainly was for Joshua and Israel. Because here they're now hearing from the Lord and they're once again being directed by the Lord. It's a much more intelligent and wiser way to be moving forward, isn't it? Are you taking time to hear from the Lord and allow him to direct your steps? Are you pausing before just moving on in just kind of, oh, an attitude of, I've got this, I'm good. Are you pausing and say, Lord, guide me, direct me, I need you. And I'm thankful that God is a God of second chances. You know, we might experience failures from time to time. Anybody ever experienced a failure? All right. Anybody experienced a, a failure this week? That's okay. We won't go there. But some of us, maybe it's, it's a daily occurrence. And we're going to experience failures, but those failures are not meant to finish us. Please understand that because we serve such a gracious God. Don't let setbacks hold you back. Keep going forward and moving forward in the Lord's way as he directs you because he doesn't want you to remain in a place of defeat. He wants you to be walking in the victory he's already provided for you as we yield to him and surrender to him. Now, what's ironic here is we've read just these first couple of verses of chapter eight is that the spoil of Jericho was hands off. That's what got Israel and Achan specifically into a whole heap of trouble. But the spoil of A is gonna be free for the taking. I mean, if, if Achan could have just waited a couple more days, He could have had his heart's content of the spoil and been receiving it in God's blessing. Following in obedience always produces the the blessed life. But he went against God and he did his own thing. And yet God had something so special for all of Israel if they had just waited on him. So verse three, Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up against A. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them saying, behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city and it'll come about when they come out against us as at the first, that we shall flee before them. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city. For they will say, they are fleeing before us as at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them. Verse seven, Joshua then says, then you shall arise from the ambush and seize the city for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it'll be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire according to the command of the Lord you shall do. See, I have commanded you. Joshua therefore sent them out and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and A on the west side of A. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. Now, if I'm leading the way up to A, I'm thinking, okay, everybody, 
We're going to walk around the city once every day for six days. And then on the seventh day, we're going to walk around it seven times, and then we're going to blow our trumpets. And people may say, well, did you pray about that? No, but that's worked before. I'm going to think that's what's successful. We'll just repeat and replicate what we've done before. But God does something very different at A than he does with Jericho. Something much more conventional for battle. We need to remember that we can't always put God in a box. We can't limit God. We can't think, well, he's done it this way before. Thus, it must mean he's going to continue to do it that same way. We can't put God in a box. We can't limit God of working in just one method or, or, or one way of working. Don't limit him. So what God does, and as he instructs Joshua, he has three divisions set up. There's going to be a covert, there's going to be a covert night operation. One group of soldiers is going to go and hide out west of the city between Bethel and Ai. That's mentioned in verse 12. We'll get to that. But the one group of soldiers, as we read, will be behind the city. And one group is going to be led by Joshua, who's going to come marching toward the city. And everybody in Ai is going to go, oh, look at these nuts. What a bunch of idiots. Don't they know we've already taken them down? And here they are coming at us again. And so Joshua knows they're all going to come out and think we're just going to go after them just like we did at the first, just like we did the previous time. But then when they all come running out after Joshua, there's going to be these two groups that are going to come and converge upon A and ransack them and ambush the people there. And I love that we read in in Joshua 8, 9. I love that we read that Joshua lodged that night among the people. Joshua's right there with the people. We may be up against some battles, but remember that there's one who is with you and he goes before you. Remember, Joshua is the Hebrew name of Jesus, which means Jehovah is salvation. If we're gonna walk in victory, may we be sure that we're dwelling with Christ and abiding in Christ, that we're not going before him, we're not lagging too far behind, but that we're remaining right with Jesus. Well, verse 10, listen, we're gonna read a big chunk of scripture here, so yeah, get those reading glasses on. Stretch out. Just periodically check to the person beside you to make sure they're not sleeping. Just give them a nudge. Do what my mom used to do in church all the time to my dad. Give them a little nudge. Okay. Hope they're not listening. <laughs> that was my job as a kid. I was I'd sit in between my mom and be like, Psst, hit your father. Okay. I'd hit him, wake him up. All right. And then he would sit. Sometimes he played the organ at church, and then he would sit up on the stage during the whole service all the musicians would sit on the stage and it was a big game for us. We'd all be like, let's see how long it takes him before he falls asleep. And he'd be up there, you know, his foot would be shaking, you know, cross-legged, he'd be just wagging the foot and all of a sudden it'd stop. We're like, oh, there he goes, great, you know, so. So make sure nobody's falling asleep here, okay? If you do, it's okay, I understand. Those are stories about my dad. I've got a number of stories about me falling asleep as well, but we won't go there. Verse 10, (laughs) and Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel before the people to A, and all the people of war who were with them went up and drew near, and they came before the city and camped on the north side of A. Now a valley lay between them and A, so he took about 5,000 men 
and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Now it happened when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people at an appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. Verse 15, and Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in A or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward A, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand and they entered the city and took it and hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of A looked behind them, they saw and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on their pursuers. Verse 21. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them. So they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And they struck them down so that they left, let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness, where they pursued them. And when they all had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. Verse 26, for Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of A, only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty for themselves according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned A and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of A, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. So here we see just an utter desolation, destruction, demolition of the city and the people there. And again, we've seen through the history of Israel how God has said for the people to go into the land of Canaan and completely remove them. And again, this can feel rather harsh. This can feel rather judgmental, strong on behalf of the Lord as though where's the grace and the mercy. But remember, he's given the people of Canaan, 430 years, all the time that Israel's been in Egypt and then wandering through the wilderness, 430 years to repent and get right with the Lord. But because the people of Canaan were practicing such heinous, grotesque, abominable practices, things like sacrificing their children, uh, just completely destroying themselves. God said, because of the nature of the people there, it's time for you to come to the land and just wipe it clean. Wipe it clean from the sin and from the pagan practices that are there because Israel is to come in and again, 
be a nation that is preserved and walking in holiness because of the plans that God had to the nation of Israel. And again, there's a lot of people that will question these kinds of things in God's word, but we have to understand the purposes of God and we have to see again what's happened. I mean, you think about Saul when he's told to go and, and kill um, all the uh, Amalekites and he leaves King Agag thinking, oh, no big deal. One person, you think, no big deal, and yet down the road, we end up meeting another Agagite, Haman, who ends up being the person that's trying to exterminate the Jewish people. God has a reason for doing what he does. And though it might seem harsh and heavy to us, God's ways are always perfect, good, and just. And it's important in our lives. We learn the lessons that we don't leave a little bit of the flesh. We might think, hey, we're doing pretty good. We've removed 90% of the things in our lives that are not of the Lord, but 10%, ah, what trouble could that bring? And yet we have to recognize 10%, 1% that we're still holding on to for self and for sin in the flesh can begin to grow and be a great trouble to us. How we need to be those that lay everything down, deal with every area so that Jesus can reign entirely and exclusively in our lives. Verse 30, just about done, guys. You're doing good. You still with me, everybody? Verse 30. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Evil. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man is wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them, Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, verse 34, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. You think this was long tonight. Here's Joshua <laughs> reading all the words of Moses, all the commands that were given to Moses and Pastor, and he read them in one sitting with the children present. Now that's a miracle right there. That's pretty amazing. You guys are doing pretty good, but wow, it's all the children. But what's interesting is Joshua now is renewing the covenant with the people of, of Israel here, the very things that Moses had passed on to them, the very things that Moses stated earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 27. And, and what's interesting, we see this altar now being built there in verse 31 on Mount Ebal. Mount Ebal was the place where cursings were to be pronounced. Mount Gerizim, the place where blessings were to be pronounced. And yet here now on Mount Ebal, we see a, an altar God's provision 
for all condemnation to where we don't need to fall prey to cursings, to condemnations when we take our sin to the altar of the cross by which Jesus has made provision for us to be set free and to come out from that sin and experience life in him. And then we see a copy of the law being written down, a reminder that they were to be people of the word. We too are to be people of the word, not written now on stone tablets as was passed on to them, but rather written on our hearts. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse three says, clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. Worship team, I'm gonna invite you to come up. See, we're no longer to be following this hard, mechanical law written on stone. This is a word that's to be put on our hearts to where it's to be driving our very being, our very existence. Everything that we do, everything we are, everything that we say is to be coming through the word of God and to be living out the word of God. It's now put upon tablets, not of stone, but of flesh, our heart. May we be those that are not just in the word, as I've said oftentimes, but allowing the word to get into us and allow the word to transform us, lead us, and guide us. So we don't make the mistakes that Achan made, that we don't find our lives in the midst of chaos and trouble, but rather walking in the very truth and the very things that the Lord has for us that ensures the blessed, victorious life. All right, let's pray. God, we come before you here tonight and this is a word that's convicting to me. Lord, because we see these lessons learned, we see this life of Achan that thought it'd be no big deal to subvert the word of the Lord to grab something that he thought would enhance or enrich his life. And yet I wonder how often I make those same mistakes when I go around what you have for me and think I've got a better way or become a little too self-reliant or have too much of a, a desire for the things of the flesh, Lord, I pray that you would convict us all of things that are not of you here tonight, things that we're holding on to, things that maybe we buried and thought we're getting away with it. May we lay it down here tonight before you. May we confess and repent and say, Lord, I don't want to be just living 90% for you. I want to be 100% devoted to you. I want you to truly be the Lord of every area of my life. So lead us in these things, Lord. May we be people that are hearing the word and now living out your word. May your spirit just fall in this place and fall in our hearts and our lives here tonight. We need you, Lord. May we never move away from a, a daily dependence on you. We need you. So move in our, in our hearts tonight as we take some time and this time of worship, Lord, just begin to reveal things maybe that we've not dealt with. May we lay it down before you.